They want me to get rid of my dog. Can they do that? I'm being fined for leaving my garage door open too long. What are covenants? Do I have any rights? Help, I feel like I've left the American zone. If you want the answers to those questions, join me, Shu Bartholomew, and my guests on The Commons every Saturday from 2 to 3 right here on WBR Fairfax Radio. We'll ask the experts and we'll untangle the truth about what's left of our property rights. On the Commons is a weekly radio show dedicated to discussing the many issues surrounding mandatory membership homeowners associations. Join us as we explore this relatively new world of controlled living, which includes condominiums, cooperatives, and both attached and detached single-family homes. Living in a common ownership development means giving up the American dream. It means giving up your constitutional rights and control over your most valuable asset, your home. Living in a homeowners association means leaving the American zone. This is On the Commons, and I am Shu Bartholomew. Radio Fairfax, I'm really happy to have my old friend Bill Davis back on the show with us. Bill, thank you so very much. You've got some really interesting cases going on right now, and I know you're dying to tell us all about them, right? Yes. Hello, Shu. It's great to be back again. <laughs> Hello, Bill. <laughs> so tell us, you, you're dealing with my favorite topic yes I've uh, a couple of I've got a couple of cases now dealing with fines uh, and we're challenging the authority of HOAs to fine in general uh, in both of those cases so um, I don't know where to take I can give you more if you want but I'm sick and tired of this this finding nonsense and the idea that an, that a private corporation, has the uh, authority uh, to fine people. And this has all been rationalized under, well, it's less expensive than going to court. <laughs> yeah, and, right. And uh, it's like, really? Right. So why, why can't homeowners, I mean, if I don't want to have to deal with going to court, why shouldn't I just fine the HOA, right? I mean, why, why shouldn't I be able to do that? You know, if it's, um, a, contra- it's, a, if it's a contract, if it's yes. a contract, you and I agree to doing something, why should one person have the ability to fine and not the other? Because quite often HOAs will take your money and they won't do what they're supposed to be doing, right? Right, right. And over and over again, I mean, the first thing that one of the first principles they teach you in first year law school in contracts is that uh, fines and penalties are unenforceable in contracts. So even if, and there's plenty of things that are just because it's in its writing doesn't make it so. You know, these people believe that, oh, if they write it and it has all the, trappings of, oh, it's written and it's been filed with the county clerk, therefore uh, it must be true. Uh, there's, a, there's a wonderful 1946 black and white, uh, it's like a community service message put out about despotism. And you can find it on the um, archives, um, internet archives, I think it's in the Prelinger archives at uh, archives.org. And uh, it's, 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 19, it's made in 1946, I think it was, might be 36, and it's called despotism. And, and, it, and it shows uh, that this is the sign of uh, uh, tyranny, basically, is this idea that just because somebody puts it in writing, uh, this is part of the mass, um, you, you, you end up with a society that's nothing but drones. And just because it's written does not make it legal, it does not make it so, uh, but, you know, it's 
one of the things that they used to convince people. But going back to the issue of fining, uh, there's a couple different ways that they try to get it in there. They'll try and have it in the original restricted covenants. They'll try to have it uh, through a uh, resolution of the board. Um, or they'll try to just have it in, you know, the management company will come up with some policy or rule and, uh, you know, claim that this, that this is the policy. But the way I've seen it is that, that finding, uh, since the, since the inception has primarily been used as a tool to create a multiple debt as part of a larger fee pyramiding scheme to benefit the management company. Um, you know, Texas had to adopt laws about this. Uh, California's had to adopt laws regarding this. Arizona's adopted laws regarding this. Texas is probably one of the more recent states because its laws changed in 2011 uh, to deal with the fee, fee pyramiding. But the finding was really just a mechanism for fee pyramiding. So, uh, but the bottom line is, in a contract, and we're always told it's there, you're bound by it, it's a contract, the court says it's interpreted as a contract. Well, since early, early days, uh, penalties and contracts are unenforceable okay so you can't get much and in fact uh companies and and parties to contracts would routinely try to come up with language where it didn't sound like a a fine or a penalty they call it a special charge yeah or something along you know you know why you know why because the first case in in the country is the gilman case in 1982 in virginia and in the Gilman case, they said that fining was unconstitutional. They also said that nor can it be described as, and they had a whole list of stuff. Well, CAI, bless their cotton socks or whatever else you want to bless of theirs. <laughs> Rotten souls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, then they went to the legislature and they said, oh, well, we can't use the word fine. So we will call it a special assessment. We will call right. it a special charge. And, you know, in special assessment in some governing documents like ours, for instance, there's a uniform rate of assessment. And so you can't have a special assessment unless you have it levied against everyone. And in order to do that, you have to put it to the vote of the members. Oh, well, okay, so we will call it a special charge. We will call it anything but a fine because then you see we can get around the Supreme Court um, opinion, and that's nonsense. That's absolutely right. wrong. Right. A rose by any other name? You know, yeah, like, absolutely. No yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm so glad you're taking this on, Bill. Yeah, well, I think we've got several routes because uh, the, the bottom line is, um, you know, the, the association comes in not as a harmed party, but as like a private policeman. Okay, which is part of the problem, uh, except that they're not obligated to do much of anything, and uh, in return for paying these assessments. But you, they, they, the management companies are really big on these fines, and the HOA attorneys are really big on them. At least all the ones I've met, and uh, I've got one case where they were in the original restricted covenants that we're going to challenge, and another one where the. Uh, Management company, it just has the fingerprint all over it of the management company, the HOA attorney, pushing this through um, at another HOA where the, the HOA was in, came into being in 1993, and they had, you know, adopted this fining uh, covenant, 
in, uh, I think, 2008 or 2009. So why is it that all of a sudden, you know, who agreed? You know, if the theory is theory, you agreed to it. Who agreed to it? Certainly not the homeowners that bought in 1993 or anybody else. And the idea that you can turn it into some sort of private police state uh, is just absurd. So we, we are going to be challenging it, and I think we can turn back to fundamental principles of, const- of uh, both constitutional law and of contract law. You, you can, if you're going to have social compact, you have a real government. If you want to operate under a contract theory, then you're going to be stuck with the limitations of contract. And you know what, Shoot, you don't get you don't get penalties or fines, and certainly not unidirectional ones, if it's a contract. So that's where we're going. I love um, it. They're going to well, they're they're going to lose on liquidated damages too, because you can have a contract that has liquidated damages, but liquidated damages there generally has to be some harm. And you know what? In ninety nine point nine percent of the cases, the HOA corporation has absolutely no harm whatsoever. How has the maybe you can help me here? Please help me. How has the HOA corporation been harmed if your grass is two inches taller than what somebody wants it to be? How you can't you can't kill the HOA corporation. It, it doesn't affect the valuation of any of its assets. It has no effect on the HOA corporation whatsoever. So they don't they don't experience any harm. Um, you know, and without harm, there's no. You're not going to get liquidated damages on this thing. So you can't even cast it as liquidated damage. Um, I, I'm uh, I'm pretty. I haven't seen anybody else really challenge this. That's why and, I always uh, say you're a very creative attorney, and why well, I love I, what you do. I mean, seriously. Uh, well, thank you, Shu. But I don't. I mean, it's it's like it's like somebody else is framing the argument. Most of the industry, and of course, they're trying to frame it as how much fines you're going to pay, or how they can, you know, which fees are going to be okay and which are not. We need to step out of that box and frame it ourselves and look at the fundamentals. Like, since when does a private corporation have authority to fine anybody? It's it's not a government. It's not a political subdivision of the state. It's a purely contractual type of relationship, which, of course, they have sought time and time again in court to pursue that theory. Well, there's plenty of case law that says it's contractual. If it's contractual, then you don't get fines. That's fundamental. So uh, I am hopeful about that because you know what? That's going to take a big notch out of the uh, schemes that these management companies and HOA attorneys have engaged in for years. I've got a guy right now where uh, this is a case where they think that they adopted a, a resolution in 2008 or 9 to implement fining. Uh, where they filed a super foreclosure uh, to collect monies that they uh, claimed he owed for a visible trash can. They charged him $750 for a trash can. They charged, I don't know, 300 I don't remember what it was right now, but it was a total of $3,000 in these charges that, you know, these are not things that they... Uh, are really allowed to even uh, do. They trespassed onto his property. I did speak about this one time before and cut down a tree uh, that was in his backyard um, because somebody didn't like it apparently. Wasn't in his front yard even. And then so they added that as a charge and they're not calling that a fine. They're calling that another uh, they're calling an enforcement cost or something like that. 
but they tried to foreclose on his home to get it. Shoot, they never had any right to go on this property in the first place. <laughs> and and even if they did, uh, the state law requires that they have an open board meeting and they notify people before they initiate an enforcement action. They didn't do that either. And and they swore, they filed affidavits in court. Uh, unfortunately, he never even responded to that lawsuit, which caused us to have to file a different one. But he, um, they filed affidavits in court affirming that he owed no assessments. He had paid all of assess- his assessments. That that court case it was roughly three thousand dollars at the time. In in Texas law, that happened to be a very specialized proceeding for HOAs, and he didn't respond. But there's a process by which the homeowner gets to file a separate independent suit because, as a specialized process, you don't get discovery, uh, you don't get to counterclaim, you don't get to do anything else. So there's an automatic route for a more more full and formal actual due process uh, system. So we did that, um, and they've turned that $3,000 into over $30,000, all from charges the management companies tried to heap on. They One day they sent him six letters, and of course they charge $15 for each letter. Uh, they charge uh, at least double the normal postage cost, say, for certified letters and things of that nature as a fee. You know, here's, here's the postage cost, but I, you know, I do a lot of postage myself, Shu and I. I look at this and I go, well, that's well above the standard. U- <laughs> what you know, post office did they use? Right, right. That's well above the standard USPS rates. But they've turned an alleged $3,000 thing into $30,000 simply because they alleged that debt existed. And they tried to heap on uh, late fees and all these other things, which are always going to the management company. They don't go to the HOA. These management company contracts always provide that that the management company, that the HOA agree, uh, you know, lets the management company collect this fee or take this fee or create this fee. So. You know what really galls me, Bill, is the fact that? that the management company is an employee, an employee of every single homeowner who pays his or her fees and, and salaries and everything else. Yet the management company now turns around and has the ability, the authority to decide whether or not you're behaving yourself, to decide whether or not they can fine you, whether they can foreclose to collect that fine, to render you homeless, because, frankly, they don't particularly like you. And they have that ability, and the legislature has allowed them to get away with it, and that just absolutely galls me. Well, I do want to touch a little bit on that, because I think that there's a bit of a misperception in there, and forgive me for this, but the management company is going to stand behind the fact that it's an agent of the HOA corporation. That's why it's really important to realize that these are not a loosely knit set of people, but it's actually a separate entity. So the management company contracts with the HOA corporation. It has absolutely no duty to you whatsoever. You are the prey. And uh, frequently in many states, you can't even file a derivative action on behalf of the HOA, on behalf of a nonprofit, in order to go after the vendors. That's solely within the province of the board. So you can see what happens when you get a crooked management company, which, you know, I frankly haven't met one that wasn't. Um, and you end up with a corrupt board, which, well, they don't even have to be corrupt. They can be ignorant. Um, but, uh, you know, they don't tend to want to go after the management company, and the management company's just wreaking havoc usually in cahoots with an HOA attorney over the neighborhood, and there's very little 
that the individual homeowner can do because, again, they don't – the management company is going to point to the HOA and say they're our client, not you, and uh, you can't even sue derivatively to go after the management company. I think the bigger problem is the idea that there should be this glove out there, the HOA, that the management company can wear – to create havoc for you and how you use and enjoy your property and everything else. That's the idea that there needs to be this vehicle for whoever it is, whether it's the management company or another homeowner or something else, to dictate to you, you know, how you should act in your property, what cars in many cases you should buy. You know, just, just down the list, you know, you've talked about how many oh, yeah. things that people try to control. It's like, look, this has nothing to do with um, – whatever the legitimate purpose is of an HOA. I'm not sure I've – the only purpose I've really seen is, is to avoid liability for the developer and the local government. That's about it. Um, not to actually provide value to the homeowners, but I'm sure people would disagree with me on that. You know, you're absolutely correct in terms of the legal relationships, but when it comes right down to it, the people who are actually paying – the fees right. for these management companies are the homeowners. Yes, I agree. Um, and and you're, the homeowners are making it possible for these management companies and their buddies, the HOAs and or the HOA attorneys. And frankly, some HOA attorneys, at least at one point, actually owned management companies. Oh, I'm sure. So no, so they had their own management company. They'd send them in, and they would become the attorney. And hey, it was you know it was an open field. Go ahead, pick away at these people, and they're just going to keep throwing more money at you. Isn't it a wonderful scheme? And we can't get away with them, right? We can't do away with them. Right, Sue. There was a uh, is an HOA attorney in uh, Fort Bend County, uh, Texas, and he. Uh, uh, he had, uh, well, there were several subdivisions that were aware of where his fees were more than a million dollars a year. And he, or his, for his firm, he was mayor pro tem for a while. And wouldn't you be surprised that that city down there in Fort Bend County adopted an ordinance mandating HOAs, and not only for any type of de- development, and not only that, but the city belongs to an organization called Texas Municipal League, which is a lobbying organization for cities, which is kind of strange because, you know, cities aren't really things or people. They're composed of people, and they are legal entities, but really, you know, they just represent the whims of whoever's in control of them. And uh, they submitted a resolution to TML that they took to the state legislature that, oh, the state legislature needed to keep these planned communities because – it would otherwise become a liability for local government uh, for all these roads and everything else. Well, of course, this guy wanted to keep his very lucrative um, HOA practice where you're shaking down all the homeowners in these places, not to mention charging the HOA client as well. So, of course, that they're promoting these HOAs. And, and unfortunately, there's uh, these lobbying groups for cities, which is the most absurd thing out there, yeah. that uh, – you know, is lobbying to force HOAs on people, at least in this state. Um, um, I might have gotten off topic there, babe, but <laughs> we always do, Bill. So that's that's part of the charm of this show. <laughs> <laughs> but the, you know, you've got layers and layers and layers and layers of people 
and governments and entities and organizations and everybody, every one of those layers is feeding off the person at the bottom, the individual, whether right. it's your HOA fleecing you, the local municipal government fleecing you, um, the management company, the, the legal firm that represents them, the city, the county, the state, the federal government, all the way up, they've all got their fingers. They're all feeding at the trough of the individual. I agree. So I think what you're saying is, is we need to respect, if we come up with more fundamental rules, which we're supposed to already have in the Constitution, but it keeps getting overlooked, to respect the individual's property rights and their rights as an individual, um, then it's going to be a lot harder to do some of these things. There's, there's, so, no, there's no respect for any of it, Bill. You know, people think that it's it's your house, but they have as much right to it right. as you do. I mean, you've got the job. You're out there fighting and, and representing homeowners. You're the one who's earning the money. You're the one who bought the house. You're the one who's paying the mortgage and the taxes and the HOA fees and all of the other things. Yet Charlie next door thinks that, hey, I don't like his flower bed, so I think I'm going to find him. I think I've got a right to tell him that his flower choices suck, that I don't like his car, and he has a dog, and I don't like dogs, so I don't want them. And you know, even in some cases, we've heard of people deciding that they don't like the fabric softener you use. They don't like the smell. Oh, yeah. Yeah, especially in, in condominiums or high-rises or apartments where you use fabric softener and it rents out and they go, oh, I can't stand that smell. You're not allowed to use that. Or where people have seen shampoo bottles on windowsills in the bathroom, you can't use that shampoo. I don't like it. You know, we've got to the point where we have zero respect for anyone or anything. And then you just go right up the ladder all the way up to the federal government. I mean, I know Fairfax County's just increased property taxes. Um, HO, my HOA, fortunately, is tied to a CPI index, so they can't budge on that without putting it to a vote. Um, but a lot of them don't have that. The newer ones don't have that. Hey, you want to increase, you need the money. You want to increase assessments, go right <laughs> ahead. Throw it well, out there. I, I, I've watched this HOA attorney argue about uh, how it was so necessary and they needed to have these uh, raises. And of course, we all know CAI's public policies are unlimited, no cap on assessments whatsoever. Of course, they never address, you know, putting people, they're, a big part of their business is profiting from financial distress. They do everything they can to create it. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, and they're, you know, constantly getting in trouble with the FDCP, the Federal Fair Debt Collection Practices Act. And they've constantly tried to lobby to prevent it from applying uh, and things like that. But uh, they never address the expense side, never. It's like the HOA needs this money. Well, why shouldn't the HOA have to justify what it needs the money for and what services it's actually going to provide uh, as opposed to just we need to have uh, the power to uh, you know, assess these people in an unlimited fashion? Because after all, 
you know, if it was if it was a legitimate government, then people have a say on the taxes, and there's restraints on the taxes. But these guys want to be able to take your house. It's secured, very much like I don't know of any other agency or, or, or government in the United States other than a taxing authority that has the kind of authority that these guys have, because the taxing authority doesn't have to provide you anything in particular or at all. That's why. That's why we end up at nineteen trillion dollars in debt. Because we just keep throwing money away. I mean, you know, we're like sheep. We just roll over. We accept it. We have not been taught or we have not, we've done a lousy job of teaching our kids that you have to respect what someone else has done. I have to respect your house bill. I have to respect all the work that you have put into owning that house. It may be... or how about that we're not all at the same situation at every instant in time throughout the course of our lives just because we live in one subdivision? I mean, that's just absurd to think. You, things things have their own lives, and they need to be able to live out their own lives. Uh, things come and go, and they need to be able to come and go. But this idea that some vision is going to be preserved in perpetuity is absurd. Um, you know, it just it, – it, it's not – you can't say that pi is equal to three, and we're going to round it off for convenience. It just doesn't. <laughs> but it it dates itself. I mean, I remember a number of years ago when everybody got all excited because some of the associations around here that were built in the six, late 60s and early 70s had these insane requirements that everything had to be a certain brown. I mean, when brown was the favorite color. <laughs> You know, you walk into it, it's like walking into a house that has avocado um, appliances. I walked into into one house, and there was a turquoise refrigerator. And where on earth did that come from? I mean, everything is dated. If you want something, I mean, if you want to go back and do something retro like that, but most people don't want something ridiculous like that. I, I love turquoise it's my favorite color but a fridge in turquoise <laughs> i mean come on come yeah. on and and that's what we're doing we're saying hey look at me we're going to be like this forever we're peter pan we're never going to grow up right and things aren't supposed to age things aren't supposed it's all supposed to look as if it's new to builder inventory which of course is the reason the developer wanted it and actually, it kind of reminds me of a show you had a few weeks ago. I, I listened to him, Shu. I love him. I know. <laughs> you, had a fellow, you had a fellow named Chuck, Chuck Walsh on there. Yeah. And uh, I kind of wanted to call him up and talk to him because he was talking about his view of how these were wonderful things. And, of course, he was also talking about the whole time he was the president of the HOA. And, and the point was is that, well, it's good to be the king, but this guy really wasn't interested in any kind of democracy when he was involved out there. And he he commented about how he wanted to be able to keep coming back and see that his vision was still there. That's that's kind of ego-driven. I don't think the guy was a bad guy, but, you know, look, you sold the property. It's not yours anymore. What right do you think you have to dictate how this property should be in perpetuity or to promote these things as any kind of democratic thing when he he knows darn well that he had no intention 
of it allowing it to be a democracy when he was there. He wanted to be the president of the Homeowners Association. How does he think that was ever going to change when he left? It's it's uh, we have to have a way to protect ourselves from the inherent nature of you know uh, a lot of the people around us, and we need the, we need the individual right to protect ourselves, not to entrust that into some collectivist type of oh we'll take care of you. That's you know that you know that's not going to happen because. Every government out there has come up with multiple layers and said, we're not going to take care of this anymore, you need a new district. Then the district says, we're not going to take care of this anymore, you need a new district. So you no longer have. And each one of them wants to continue taxing them, taxing you at the maximum rate they can tax you at uh, without providing the services that you know they were formed. Uh, they keep, uh, what's the word, sloughing it off onto some other um, governmental body to do. And you end up being taxed to death and still not getting the services. So, so what's the answer, Bill? What well, I don't earth? think it's eight ways. <laughs> I think I agree with you. But, I mean, HOAs is a microcosm of I, the way I see it, the bigger problem. And I think that we've been indoctrinated. We've been led to believe that, you know, we have a right to, I don't know, to dictate what goes on in a private property. You have a right to go, and I think you should get involved at the at your local government level, whether that's a city, a town, a county, whatever that is, and let them know because you don't want those people who lie to you through their teeth when they're running for office, and then turn around and do whatever they want to do or whatever the people who paid or contributed financially to them, want them to do. You know, Shu, that's that has an amazing analog with current politics. I'm, you know, uh, uh, you know, that unfortunately, um, folks are always worried about the kinds of favors that politicians are expected to return to folks who have contributed to their campaigns. And you know, I think that. That's been a big issue in the latest presidential runs because there's only one that I know of that uh, hasn't be been the beneficiary. Well, I, I assume it would take a lot of money, and if anybody's doing the buying, <laughs> he's probably on the buying side as opposed to the receiving side. But, but yeah, it's uh, I, uh, uh, you have to wonder, all these people that are running and all the money that's been given to them, what – you know, what were the conditions? What were they going to promote in return for that for that money? But I think that even the parties, it's, it's not just the individuals and it's not just the major corporations. They are a huge, huge problem. They are a yes. massive problem. And you they don't they they don't represent the members. Just like an HOA does not represent homeowners, it never has and never will. It, the, the political parties as entities do not re- represent the members. That's why you see so much disarray in one of the parties right now. <laughs> because, because they seem to be very worried about uh, the, the party as an entity. Uh, at least for those, yeah, they want control over the candidates, and they don't have that with all the candidates. And I think that's disconcerting to those sitting in positions of authority within you know the party itself. I never, I'm just a voter. 
I never realized just how corrupt the whole system was until this started unfolding. And I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, you know, it, you, go to, you go to the state, and you and I have both lobbied at the state level. We've both been there where yeah. we've had the special interests, which are the CAI, the managers, the attorneys, and all of those people who've been throwing money at the legislators and proposing legislation and offering to help them and writing the legislation. And you get really frustrated and fed up because every year when you go in, you've got high hopes of cleaning up this stuff. But what happens is that the special interests win. The special interests get what they want, and the homeowners don't, although there are a lot more homeowners than there are special interests. But you take that and you multiply it. And you multiply it many, 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 many times. And it gives you a better picture of what's going on at the federal level and what's happening now. I mean, you know, and, and, and it's both parties. It's absolutely both parties. It's not not limited to one party. I agree. Well, I think that, I think that some change could be accomplished at the federal level on, on HOA matters because you think about the amount of property that's, you know, under feudal rule by HOA in the U.S., I'm sure it's in the trillions of dollars. I, I, I know it's well over the hundreds of billions. It's probably in the trillions of dollars of property valuations that are affecting you. You're going to say that that doesn't affect interstate commerce. But back on your point about going to the legislature, I had a unique experience. Well, it's not unique. I, it was new to me when I went to go speak at a county commissioner's court. Uh, you know, I know we have different states and they have different um, types of government, but in Texas you have state government, and counties are viewed kind of as an arm of the state as opposed to an independent ordinance-making organization like a city. So counties are more restricted in, in powers. But I went to a commissioner's court and got up to speak. I uh, was not happy about an issue. And one of the county commissioners kept telling me what they did is they formed a stakeholder committee. And they were trying to pass uh, or, or consider um, a resolution and, and, and things that were going to affect a basically all the property owners in Hayes County, but they were only going to allow a predetermined list of stakeholders, which were none of them were property owners. They were utility companies, groundwater districts, uh, two environmental groups, you know, they not, they're not the property owners, and none of those as organizations can vote. And it was just outrageous that the this, this stakeholder idea, as opposed to the actual people who vote on the property, should be participating in this. But when I went up to go speak, I kept getting grilled by the, one of the county commissioners who strongly supported this thing about, who do I represent? Who do I represent? Yeah. yeah. And I said, what do you, I represent me. I'm a voter. I'm a property owner here in this county. And they, just, they didn't seem to be able to comprehend that. And uh, I was angry that property owners weren't allowed on this thing. And I, at, at the end, you have to understand it's a little heated. Uh, and this person had lost in the primary election that, that year. And I reminded them, well, they may have deprived me of a right to vote or participate in that committee, but they weren't allowed to deprive me of the right to vote at the polls. And they should never forget that. And I exercised my right to vote so that I could hopefully get somebody in county government that would listen to the people that own the property. 
at, at any rate, that's a similar thing that's going on where, like the city of Houston, with their super districts, they've created these phony districts um, to control a large area, and you're supposed to – city council doesn't want to hear from you. They want to know if you want to go talk to your city – to your super district – I'm sorry, to your district um, – you have to understand these are not things that were created by state government. This is just the city yeah. saying, "Hey, we're going to divide up the city yeah. into different areas." These aren't these aren't elections where these people are appointed. This is like a private district that the city has said we support this. And then on top of that, you have a an association of districts um, that's supposed to uh, to be above that. These aren't elected people. These aren't real governments. But the city wants you to go to your district head who's been supposed to be the interface for you with the city council that's not that's not constitutional government it's frustrating it's it's yeah, just that, frustrating yeah it's just yeah. frustrating people and trying to prevent them from from participating but right. but the, how do we get to the to the people you know I keep going back to the fact that there are more of us than there are of them. And what you're yep. describing sounds like a 1,700-layer dip, that everybody's <laughs> got a layer there, and you're just kind of stuck wondering where and how you're going to get to the bottom of this. Um, and you get frustrated, and you just think, to hell with it. I'll go do whatever I want to do and, and hope nobody notices. Or, But how do we get that turned around? How do we empower the individual people to stand up and say, you know what, I've had it. I'm, I'm just not going to let you keep nibbling away at my savings. I'm going to get your hand out of my pocket. And I'm going to stop letting you tell me how I can live my life as long as I don't Offense or not, not offended. God help us. That's a ridiculous statement. But as long as I don't harm someone else. Well, the problem is, is people right now are encouraged to simply move on and go someplace else where the pain may not be so bad. But the problem is, is there's first of all that's wrong, and second of all, there's becoming fewer and fewer places uh, where the pain isn't as bad. There's, I mean, for example, try and find non-HOA property anywhere. It's been, I'm looking for it now. It's very, very tough. And realtors will scoff at you, and then they'll say, oh, well, well, are you planning to do something that your neighbors wouldn't approve of? I'm like... Yes, I am. My neighbors are not going to approve of anything I do, so yes. Exactly. I said, I'm not seeking my neighbor's approval, and that's the whole point. I'm not interested in a property where I'm expected to go get approval for anything from from anybody. You know, that's, of course, the pro-HOAers. That's going to terrify them. But the idea that you need to get somebody else's permission... By the way, it's always some ambiguous you know, committee that's not a person under the law or anything else. And these people are not exactly, you're not seeking an architect. You don't need one, but they're not, they're not engineers and they're not architects. They have right. no, right. it's purely a, a neighbor type of uh, uh, issue. And why should you have to deal with your neighbor on that? Your neighbor, as you pointed out, isn't paying your mortgage or anything else. And there's very little merit to most of the stuff that CAI puts out. They cast it in a particular way. And most everything is based upon fear, you know, marketing. Oh, they could, you know, uh, they could build a 25-foot cross. They could build a, uh, you know, you gotta, you got to adopt a law to prevent people, to allow us to prevent people from doing that. It's just absurd. The law should be you respect the, that individual's rights. Um, you, you don't create this uh, and their property rights and their, their rights in their property. 
you don't create this mechanism which deprives people of all the principal parts of ownership. If you think about it, there's a number of sticks of ownership. There's the, the right of use and enjoyment, which an HOA takes away. There's the right to exclusion, meaning you get to exclude other people from it. You don't get to do that with an HOA. A lot of these restricted covenants purport to allow the HOA to enter into your property whenever they want to. Yeah. That's not ownership. That's that's like worse than a tenancy. Tenants have better rights than that. The next thing is restraints on alienation. Well, look at all the things, all the things that they try to put in with restricted covenants that do interfere with alienation. Transfer fees are a perfect example. All these other junk fees and the things that you're not, you know, supposedly not allowed to do with the property. Uh, I view those as restraints on alienation, and I think it's really weird that our founding fathers, the concept of restraints on alienation, this is an old thing that has been thought about before. People have forgotten how bad these things are and what they lead to. And and it's weird that, you know, documents that are 200 years old, they knew about it back then. They had seen it before. This is history repeating itself. And uh, we just look to some of the things that they did. And what did they do? Well, they caused disruption um, because you can't you can't operate within the box. You have to go outside the box. The box, just like an HOA, the box was not set up for you to actually get relief. They control all the relief that you can get or all the remedies that you might have. And that's why you can't agree to be bound by their box. Um, their box wasn't structurally sound or whatever to begin with. So you got to operate outside the box. Um, at any rate, that's my thought. Well, that's what I want you to, that's that's why you're here, is I, I want your thoughts. <laughs> I, want, I want everybody, listen, I want everybody's thoughts. Because when everybody's thinking alike, nobody is thinking. That's one of my favorite sayings. And we keep hearing, well, you agreed, you agreed, you agreed. So everybody thinks, well, you agreed, you agreed, you agreed. Therefore, you're stuck with it. And, and that seems to be the law. But I want people who are going to have different thoughts. It may not take us anywhere, but it might. It might just simply be a jumping off point. Someone might say, aha, you know what? We're just going to brainstorm that and we're going to find a solution. I want to get the individual homeowners. I want the individual citizens. I want the vultures. I want the taxpayers. I want the people who end up paying for all of this mess, all of it, to decide that you know, they don't have to take it anymore. You know who else you, you need to involve in this process, but for two reasons, um, is federal instrumentalities, because uh, many of the problems we have right now are effectively derived or enabled by federal policies, including lending policies. Yes. And you have creatures like Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac that hide behind layers of servicers. People have no idea how big or bad the Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac problem is. But um, these guys are this. They they are they are the dominant players in the secondary market for for, for housing finance. And of course, you know, CAI is scared to death at uh, funding for uh, uh, common interest communities, as they call them, or planned developments. Uh, might dry up, and so they're constantly trying to protect, you know, federal funding. That's why. That, that's why CAI was founded in the first place. Yeah. To make sure that the federal government um, funded or f- provided mortgages, low income right. or you know, the the lower mortgages, because not everybody could get a conventional loan. Not right, everybody had twenty percent to put down. 
Right. But see, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are going to be concerned, or they're conservative these days because they were so badly mismanaged, um, is concerned about preserving the value of the security interest for the loan so that if they foreclose, they have a chance of recovering the funds. Well, they're supposed to only hold the security interest. They're not the owners of the property. But to the extent that, that they, you know, they need to be accommodated, um, but instead of them being a black hole that nobody knows about that's causing these planets to wobble and people are trying to figure out what's causing these, this <laughs> strange movement, it's because you've got Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac behind the scenes, and their policies, in order to sell a loan in the secondary market, the, the, the primary market is going to try to uh, originate loans that comply with Freddie and Fannie Mae's policies, okay? So that, so that financing is going to control uh, – so, so Fannie and Freddie control actually a lot of the loan origination, even if it's somewhat indirectly. Um, and their main interest is not in fining. In fact, they're, they're also concerned about things like transfer fees. So uh, they should be at the table um, because they want assurances that, um, you know, if there has to be a foreclosure by the lender – um, that, that there's adequate protections for their security interest. But it also needs to be limited to preserving a security interest and not so controlling it to deny the homeowner basically all the principles of home ownership. Um, and, and they're big players in this, and I'd like to see them be part of this. And I think you could undo a lot of the bad stuff, and you can have it done by federal law um, you can, because it involves lending and banking and interstate commerce and a bunch of other things. You could you could get rid of a bunch of this trash that these uh, trade groups have have brought to these subdivisions and condos and townhomes and everything. You know, I I want to go back several years ago, like twenty years ago, twenty five years ago, when the Virginia laws were amended, allowing associations to foreclose to collect um, past dues to to foreclose non judicially. I contacted a number of lenders, a number of mortgage companies, and I said, all right, guys, you really and truly have got to do something about helping me put a stop to this. You know what their response was? Right. They didn't, they didn't care, you see, because at the time, all they had to do was just make a loan, and they would sell it. I mean, before your first right. mortgage payment was even due, it went in a big package, and it went on to the secondary market. They were never stuck with that. Now, right. now I think things are changing a little bit, but they should have had the foresight. So I'm not that concerned about what they've lost. I am ticked up about what has been done to the homeowners, though. Right. Well, you know, all these uh, planned community and common interest communities, in order to be able to get finance for them, they generally had to subordinate the you know the this lien that they like to call it yeah. of the corporate of the condo corporation or HOA corporation to the first mortgage and so you know Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac weren't too concerned about it when they were never going to be on the hook for it right uh, but but when you have all these foreclosures somebody's got to pay and, and in their case it's the servicers that have to pay and the servicers are, are, often are uh, large banks and things like that, but but they have to pay them after the foreclosure. So they do have a vested interest no. in bringing this to. Well, they don't their origination or what it looks like, but they do in, in terms of their remedies if they're going for foreclosure. They have an interest in getting rid of these uh, um, some of these outrageous 
I'll call it rent-seeking fees from the HOAs and the vendors are trying to put on these things. And many states have adopted a super lien um, mechanism that requires, if there's a foreclosure sale, then the, then the mortgagee who's foreclosing has to pay, you know, six or nine months of, of HOA assessments. So they have an interest in minimizing what that is, too, because look at all, I mean, Florida had, yeah. I don't know how, I mean, it was, it was well over uh, half a million homes or properties that were uh, on the court dockets for foreclosure a few years ago. And so, you know, those, those the vast majority of those, the loans are Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Yeah. No, absolutely. And they're, and they're stuck with them. And it's not fair to the people who are stuck in an HOA who are going to have to pick up the slack because the because of the way this whole thing has been set up. Right. And so it's... You and I agree on this. It's not a workable model. Um, no, HOAs, no. no. They'll never work. I don't think as much as you tweak them or whatever you do. Now, um, Evan McKenzie will say, she'll be realistic. You'll never get rid of them. I'm not trying to get rid of them <laughs> as much as I would love to get rid of them because I think that there's too much legal entanglement that's going on here. But... Is there any reason why we can't step back from this and, and take a look at it and maybe come up with a different model? Um, and, not? And, I'm not, and I'm not talking about a, a common interest type of model. I want to get rid of CAI. I want to get rid of the attorneys. I want to get rid of all of that bunk. Well, I don't know if we can get rid of them, but they're going to go find something else to do if if uh, if it's not so lucrative to be ripping off homeowners and uh, their, their own clients. Hey, 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 uh, Bill, anymore. they started off as ambulance chasers and divorce attorneys. <laughs> when that dried up, no, they bragged about it. When that dried up, they created themselves a recession-proof career. And that's the those are their words. They wrote so. themselves a recession-proof career. So Let me tell you something. Evan... Evan, I know he's a promoter of HOAs and doesn't think they're going to go away, but there's two things there. He, of all people, you know, he was on that board in Chicago where they were trying to figure out what to do with all these failed HOA and condo associations. And the answer isn't to charge people unlimited assessments. It's to stop creating more of these things. And his solution was to try to re-revive uh, many of the existing ones, which means it's going to happen again. He didn't. Nothing was really solved. You know, it's going to fail again. It's yeah. just a question of when, and that's not a solution. That's a temporary patch for the uh, local government to start collecting taxes for people again. But it's not. It's not good for the homeowners, and it's only a matter of time before it happens again. So a solution should have been something different as opposed to picking that. The next thing you could do is you could, even if you can't, um, even if you, for some reason, you think you can't kill the HOA, you don't have to give or purport to give the HOA all this policing authority. We don't, you know, it's, it has no business taking on the role of government. Uh, you can have it take, you can have it be, oh, well, without governmental restraints, um, but you can really limit its power so it's largely toothless in many things. Uh, you certainly don't give it fining powers. That's just outrageous. They're not code enforcement officers. They're not government. Uh, if it's a contract and you don't get to have a fine in the contract, and if you do, then the homeowner needs to be able to find the HOA. How long do you think uh, HOAs would last if homeowners were able to find HOAs 
And how do you um, collect they, if they don't pay the fine, Bill? <laughs> the HOA? Yeah, if if the homeowner finds the HOA, let's let's take what's happening in Illinois, where okay. um, Lisa Carlson um, sued her association because she had an upper unit that sprung a leak and she'd been paying her assessments and the association refused to fix the leaky roof. It was a condo and she stopped paying her assessments. They're now going through and and, um, coming up with legislation to handle that. But if she were able to find the HOA, how would she collect on that? I mean, it's a contract, right? The contract says she pays and they take care of the structure. She paid, they didn't take care of the structure. Right. They find her and they foreclosed and got threw her out. It cost her half a million dollars. And they're still right. standing. What's what's your remedy? That whole Illinois, you know, that's Evans' home state. He ought to be working harder at fixing some of these problems instead of helping this organization. What's crazy about that state is they created a statutory forcible detainer right for HOAs. And, and and just so you know, a forcible detainer is an eviction. That's a mechanism used for eviction suits. Yeah. And one of the principal things you have to have in an eviction suit is you have to have proof of a landlord-tenant relationship. But when you go buy a house uh, in a subdivision, the HOA is not your landlord. You're supposed to be owning it. But in Illinois, they created a statutory landlord-tenant relationship for condominium associations over the owners. And what's crazy about that, first of all, that's just that just hits me. You know that was an industry bill. But what is really troubles me about this is, okay, if you're going to have a landlord-tenant relationship, then the tenant-slash-owner should also have the remedies that are available to a tenant in a landlord-tenant relationship, which is to stop paying rent or assessments until the problem is solved. And, and Illinois is a perfect example of what I would call corruption. There's no other better word for it. Uh, it's not like Chicago hasn't been associated with that word before. Um, but <laughs> once the, or twice. The idea, <laughs> once or twice. But the idea that you're gonna, you're now going to make people tenants in their own homes, but you're also going to deprive them of the rights that a tenant has under the law is absurd. That case is, I would call that an example of kind of regulatory capture. You have an industry that's basically captured, um, you know, local legislators and something like that. It, it is very troubling. Um, not to mention the, you know, the judges. Uh, it's very troubling what happened. They're going to have to have a legislative fix. And the, legis- the, the, the problem was with the legislation that got through the first time. I wish there had been a rehearing opportunity for that case. But, um, you know, that's kind of like the idea. I think it was also an Illinois case that this private security cop could issue tickets to people, uh, you know, driving on a road, uh, even though... This is not a licensed code enforcement officer. They have nothing to do with, you know, a real government. They're not an instrumentality of a real government. What are they doing issuing tickets to people? Uh, that was that false imprisonment case when the guy got, you know, pulled over by one of these security patrols uh, who was issuing him a ticket on a on a road. Uh, it was an HOA security guy. It just it makes no sense whatsoever. They're, these aren't real government officials. It, it, we're there needs to be, like you said, more respect for, I think, fundamental constitutional principles that, you know, and separation of government and things that aren't government. Instead, we're seeing this kind of merger 
and getting the worst of, of both worlds, governmental powers with no governmental restraint um, that, that you have under the Constitution. Uh, that's It's going on, and it's going on uh, big time. If you will allow me, I'll tell you about another one. You know what? We're going to have to do another show because we really are okay. out of town. Out of town. Out of time. Um, yeah. Hey, make a note of that because I want to continue okay. this discussion. I want to put this out in the skyline, Bill. Thank, okay. thank you so much. Thanks for coming thank on. Thank you, Shu, for the opportunity. I uh, appreciate it, and I hope to have better news for you and more news for you about signing in Texas in the not-too-distant future. Good luck. Please check out our website at onthecommons.us. On the Commons is produced by OTC Multimedia Productions. Well, I finally bought my dream home to enjoy retirement life. I've made new friends and buddies, lots of parties for my wife. It seemed that life was perfect, all my neighbors felt the same. Then along came death by CCRs, life's over, I'm fair game. Those petty rules and regulations, it's enough to make you cry. They're full of woes, no pink flamingos, someone tell us why. Slick managers and lawyers slither close, but they won't tell. Why our dream home should remind us We bought a one-way ticket to hell Now there's lots of open meetings Close to justice for H.O. Those arrogant board members Say what they want you to know The C.A.I. and U.L.I. Will help you lose it all but I wouldn't sell that dream home yet, the writing's on the wall. Those petty rules and regulations, it's enough to make you cry. They're full of woes, no pink flamingos, someone tell us why. Slick managers and lawyers slither close, but they won't tell. Why our dream home should remind us, we bought a one-way ticket to hell.